remain curious. Um, you know, there's, I think it, it gets so easy to try to pack a ton of like, you know, one piece of advice for someone starting, you know, curiosity to your point with your story with, you know, the pitch year one, year two, it was your curiosity, you know, mm -hmm. from year one that got you back into year two. Right. And so like, just stay curious and like follow almost like Scooby-Doo, like follow your nose as to where those next clues go. Even if the doors close, like. Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that's grown several startups to seven and eight figure businesses, as well as the uh, founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, where he helps startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. And today we have another great guest on the podcast, Cameron Campbell, as I think you go more by Coach Cam, but... Uh, so uh, Coach Cam, he went uh, or started out working for the Texans in their marketing department, uh, went and worked for, I think, public schools in urban Houston for a period of time, um, started to use, uh, did a first business or a business doing sports training company, uh, morphed that over into more of a school program. And now you're um, doing, uh, doing some hustles, public speaking business right now, doing some coaching, you wrote a book, and then you're head coach of a charter school in Houston. Is that about right? About right, yeah. So you got like 99% of it right. So I transitioned out of coaching, um, well, formal coaching as, as an athletic a couple of years ago. But the others, you hit on the head, man, and just uh, try to stay busy. <laughs> All right. Well, plenty to stay busy. So I gave a real brief overview of kind of uh, your journey and uh, what you've done. But why don't you take us back to the beginning and let's uh, hear a bit more about your journey. Yeah, so you know, my journey as uh, as an innovator really started for me. Um, I guess as an entrepreneur started for me at like nine, ten years old, and so really just tying a lot more to the back of a uh, bicycle. And you know, before landscape business was really as formal as we know it now, and just you know, riding on the back of my bike and and knocking on neighbors' doors to to cut lawns, and you know, the innovator bug and kind of our, our conversation prior to to going live was really always hardwired in me right and so you know even from that just the falling in love with iteration and tinker and tinker and modify and so you know that was the summer of third grade and you know by a week I figured out that if I actually cut my neighbor's yard first and then rang the doorbell and said hey I cut your yard you don't have to pay me if you don't want to but I did it right turned into oh thanks for cutting it by the way what else can you do? What else do you need? I can wash your car. And so before you know it, I had like a bucket of soap tied to the lawnmower, tied to the back of the bicycle and, you know, just falling in love with like the evolution. I gotta, I gotta of, stop like, just for a second. So you tied a lawnmower to the back of your bicycle. So how do you, how do you pull a lawnmower and not have it run into the back of you or lose control? And how does a lawnmower fall behind you as you're pedaling your bicycle? Yes, yeah, so I never said I was going fast. <laughs> no, so I, I I tie like a string, like so from the, like the back of the lawnmower and maybe like a two foot string to like the back of um to back to the back of my bike and just like you, you remember as a kid you used to like sit like a you used to like I forgot the term you used to call it but you have people like standing on the back pegs of your bike and then so you you, you like carry somebody I forgot what we used to call it give somebody a jump. Right. And so like you have somebody like on the back of your bike and they like stand in like 
well, at least where I'm from, like you stand, they lean on like your shoulders and then maybe you like give somebody a jump and they'd be like sitting on your handlebars. Like, no, you guys didn't do that out there. I, I saw, I, apparently I was the, the kid that was too risk averse. So I saw others do it. And yet I was the one, I usually, I had a hard enough time not crashing without tying things on or having other people ride on it. So I was just lucky just to stay up on my bike and not have any issues. So that was about the extent, but I do know what you're talking about. I have at least seen it on the movies and I'm sure I've seen other people do it. Man, that's like, even telling that story is flashing me back. I used to like ride and like dribble my basketball. I was riding my bike. And at one point I was able like to cross over, not multiple times, but like, you could like ride, get your time in with your feet and like cross over and bring the ball to the other side and ride. And yeah, <laughs> right. man. Just, your yeah. bicycle pedaling skills far surpass mine. So I couldn't even, I don't even think I could dribble, let alone cross over, let alone have a, or a lawnmower, add a bucket of, a wagon with a bucket of uh, everything to wash cars. So <laughs> you, you mastered bicycling much more than I did. So now let's fast forward a little bit. So you did bicycling, kind of started that out as a kid. Now, how did that transition as you were growing up and doing that, starting to get into the business world? You know, the cool thing about that, Devin, and even, again, like telling that story, like kind of makes you flash back from a nostalgic perfect uh, perspective. But, you know, what it, what it, what I realize now is what it taught me is like, there really are no periods in life. There are only commas. And so like you take something you learn, add a comma, add something, learn something else, take a comma, learn something else. And so, you know, even, you know, that, what that taught me into like grade school was like, you can do more than one thing. And so I was a kid, like as an athlete, you know, I, I lettered in two or three sports. I had, you know, a nine to five or like I, I worked at a grocery store after school. I was a president of student organizations. I just, I always enjoyed a full plate and I always enjoyed, uh, what's sort of rebranding myself, but like not being one specific person to everybody right and so like the student council guy for those people the football player for these people the fca guy the, you know the christian athlete guy not that i was inauthentic in either of those roles or any of those roles but just understanding that you know as an entrepreneur you can serve many people you know in many different ways mm, no i think that's good lessons to learn so now, and so let's fast forward a little bit. So you go to, you go to I think, college or you went to university, um, study for a bit, what it, or doing that, what did you transition out? What did you go into? I think you'd mentioned you went to work for the Texans and marketing department, or how did you make that transition or what, it, or what led you down there? Yeah, so uh, I was also kind of to that point, I leveraged like every internship that I had, right? So like I played football then in the winter, I'd interned in the sports marketing department for basketball, right? So I kind of, I began to get my toe wet into the internship space. And so I interned with the Texans first in the uh, equipment department, which coming as a former athlete is extremely humbling. I mean, you know, I was never the guy who threw dirty jock straps at the equipment guy's head, right? But you you understand that there are people who do do that, right? So for, right. to go from one side of the game to the other, and I enjoyed it. I learned a lot. I think that so many, so many young entrepreneurs think that you can't work in corporate America. Like I have to start off. I can't work for the man. You know, if I can learn and make mistakes on somebody else's dime, and not that that's why you're going to, you know, starting a business or, or working for yourself. But you know, you're going to make so many mistakes, especially as you get into the workforce, right? And so, 
you know, the cool thing about working for the Texans was, you know, it was a safe place for me to make mistakes, but it was a deeply, deeply competitive work environment, right? So my colleagues, the cohort of, you know, guys who, you know, we came in together, you know, you were scrappy, you were competing against each other, and, you know, you worked so many hours. And I think that that was the beginning of the transition for me, excuse me, into full-time uh, entrepreneurship was like, man, I'm working 70 hours, 75 hours a week at mm. minimum wage. Um, and, but I'm producing, you know, either my colleagues are working 75 hours a week and they're producing 40 hours worth of production and getting paid the same, or I'm working 75 hours a week and producing 80, 85 hours a week of production. And my checks like, like, wait a minute, this isn't, this doesn't make sense. No, I get that. So, so now you, you do that. So in continuing down your journey, so you did work with the Texan for Texans for a period of time, did the marketing, got or say, Hey, I'm going to leverage what I learned. I'm going to utilize that. I'm going to soak up all the pieces of knowledge then I think you mentioned that you went to public school after that, or kind of what was the, what was the motivation or the transition or what, how did that take or care for you? Yeah. So I transitioned out of that. And I, that was, as I was leaving the Texans, what I was beginning to start my public speaking career. And so, you know, just again, being, being, you know, young, dumb and not knowing much, you know, can I step out on my own and do this public speaking thing, which the answer was pretty quickly no, right? So it's like, yes, it's a hustle. It's something that you can add to, you know, your your, your cap and, and be a resource, but, you know, you can't, you know, live off of that, especially first starting off. So I slid into, you know, the public school space and, and started my coaching career at, for a charter school, which was a really cool experience, um, serving some really, really at need kids and doing very purposeful work. And I transitioned out of that. You'll appreciate this story. So um, uh, my first year, they hired a Spanish teacher who got caught in immigration and customs. She was coming from Mexico and they weren't able to get her over. So they asked me to come like stand in her class the first day of school. Sure, no problem. That lasted like two weeks. So now you kind of get past the first day of school. You're not really teaching. And, you know, I have to actually teach you Spanish. Oh, oh boy. So... <laughs> They, they they never hired anyone, and I ended up teaching Spanish for like two sessions a day, the entire year, and I it was. You know, I assume you knew Spanish, or you, did you learn a lot with the students, or how did that go? Piquito, y'all are piquito. <laughs> I'm from Houston, so of course I know like a little Spanish, right? But you know, like I wouldn't teach your kid. I don't know you personally, but like, I wouldn't teach your kid Spanish. I wouldn't do that to you. You know what I mean? Like th- th- that's not that's not in that kid's best interest. And that was kind of the second, you know, awakening for me was like, you know, in the corporate space, the machine will always move in the machine's best interest. Like they, they had a salary, they had budgeted, you know, resources to hire someone. Right. Mm -hmm. But it was in their best interest to, you know, kind of double down and, and and I get it, but it's like, you know, we're talking about, you know, the welfare of kids here and, and what they need to be successful for their future. So, um, that's when I, that was when I really became disillusioned with, you know, working in the corporate space. And I started Five Star Academy and, and that quickly morphed from me training kids, you know, for 60 bucks an hour, 50, whatever I was charged at the time, 50 bucks an hour, you know, for two or three hours a day in the sun, mm. in the Texas sun, which, you know, 150 bucks, you know, mid, mid twenties, like, cool. That's not a bad day <laughs> until, 
Hey, that's not a bad day today. I'll take that any day. So right, exactly right. And so it's until you take a step back and you get the Houston rain, and it's like, oh, well, it rained for two weeks, and so now not only can I not train because it's raining, but now it has to dry up. It's dry now; it's humid, and so very quickly that morphed into well, if instead of charging one kid fifty bucks one on one, why don't I train small groups? and charge them 30 bucks per head and train three to 10 kids. So now I'm making 150 to 300 bucks an hour. Well, you know, that works, but then kids go back to school. So then everything declines. So now you've got to try to build up this, you know, preconditioning camp for basketball. And it, it kind of turned into like truly a hustle as you described. And it's like, wait a minute, this is not sustainable. And so um, after maybe a year or so, I, I can't remember, but after a little while, you know, you take a step back and you're like, oh, I'm tired. I'm, I'm drained. I'm, you know, it, it's hot outside. Mm. And so you look around, it's like, well, what? I've, I've found a pain point. There, there's something here to this training thing, but how do I begin? And I didn't know much about scale at the time, but how do I automate it? Can I systemize it? Is So I began to plug and I found that the best fit for that was for me to become a certified vendor. And I began to do contract work for school districts and ISDs and counties and nonprofits. And so instead of charging 50 bucks an hour or 30 bucks an hour, I could bill at 100 or 110 bucks an hour and staff that with somebody else. And then, you know, that was my first introduction to like passive income. And, you know, again, I'm, you know, it's always easier on the other side, but it was, you know, the, the, the challenges of uh, the trade off of, can this person do a quality job? You know, you, you're on edge from three o'clock to six o'clock waiting for your phone to ring, like this kid break his arm or did this little boy touch this little girl? I mean, just all these little like, you know, subtleties that you don't think about until you're in the moment. And it kind of, um, you know, so, so that was that was a pretty unique experience for sure. So, so as you, and I, that's, that's I, I can see that's an interesting experience. And so now as we continue down your journey, um, you know, so you've done, you started out in a marketing department with Texans, worked with public school for a period of time. Did your, then you transitioned to sports training that kind of morphed into a after school training program. And then it sounds like kind of in addition to that, or you're also building kind of your side hustles, which were public speaking and coaching, and then you wrote a book. So how do you, where's your, how do you focus or where's your focus now? Or are all of these competing interests? Do they all go together? Or what are you kind of, you saying, Hey, this is now, as I made these, as I've gained these experiences, as I've done these different things, this is now where I'm focused or this is where I'm or headed. Exactly. And so you begin to add even more hustles to the plate and another coaching job. And you get to a point where it's like, wait a minute, this is this is not sustainable, one. But then two, none of these can scale with me as a bottleneck. And so as a natural creative, um, you know, I began to kind of morph into understanding that if I could understand and learn process, that with process, I can scale. And so I wrote my first book last year, Alpha Redefined. And that was my first actual, I'd say, product um, space or experience. And, you know, writing it obviously was a labor of love. But once I finished it, you know, I was like, wow, this is a resource that I can pack in my garage, build a sales team around, even outsource to handle logistics and, and shipping. And so that kind of sent me down the pathway of, uh, you know, trying to figure out what other products I could create to provide a great experience for people. And that 
Um, I had a doozy of a time last winter in e-commerce and, you know, the blessing in getting my butt kicked in e-commerce was as I came off of my, my book tour and kind of doing some promo around my book tour, I launched my online course, win the first quarter of your day. And, you know, the experiences and the setbacks that I had in e-commerce last winter allowed me to step over those mistakes um, as I began to, to, you know, ramp up this digital product. And so um, that's where I am now. So uh, win the first quarter of your day, a playbook for wealth, health, and success. It's an online course uh, kind of steeped in the best practices uh, that I use not only in my life, but, you know, one of the cool things about writing this book was I was able to interview, you know, dozens of people, but over 12 millionaires and self-made entrepreneurs. And I was able to kind of aggregate all of that content and best practices of what they do to start their day. No, I think that's, that's, that's awesome. And it certainly sounds like it'd be an insightful and insightful book and be able to one that you can certainly learn a lot from. Well, as we start to head towards the end of the podcast, well, why don't we jump to, I always ask my lot or two questions towards the end of the podcast. So let's jump to those now. So the first question I always ask is what was the worst business decision you ever made? So the worst decision, business decision I've ever made, um, it, it's, that's, it, so in 2015, um, again, side hustling, just kind of working and I'm, I'm Ubering and I'm lifting and, um, it's not moving as well as, or as fast as I like for it to, I'll say that. And so I'm sitting in front of a high rise building and I'm like waiting for the phone to kind of ping, you know? Hmm. So I think to myself, self you know, you don't drink coffee, but you know, people who do is a Starbucks kind of like on the first floor. Mm. So I say, I wonder if I go into this high rise building and just knock on doors of these office suites and just ask for folks, you know, Hey, I'm making a coffee run. Does anybody want Starbucks? And I'll charge you three bucks to, to order whatever you want, you know, you know, bring your order back up. And when I say Devin, that took off, like you wouldn't believe. And so, you know, within two weeks, I was just, I mean, I was literally like bogged down, just going up and down flights of, you know, stories of buildings, taking people's Starbucks orders at nine o'clock in the morning, 11 o'clock and two o'clock, kind of that, you know, kind of midday slump. Um, and it worked well for me, right? And so I'm a very transparent person. Um, I was, you know, I was looking for another penny so I could have two pennies to rub together at that time, right? Which I'm sure at some point, every entrepreneur gets to that point. Absolutely. And it it worked so well for me that I actually got a cease and desist from Starbucks. And really? so, uh, so Starbucks was like, hey, thank you for, you know, the support and patronage or whatever, but we're going to have to ask you to stop. You cannot, uh, pro- you can't deliver our hot drinks as hot as we would provide them to our customers. And you can't, you can't deliver our cold drinks as cold as we would deliver. So the cold drinks would kind of begin to melt the, the froth stuff on top. And I would have to order the hot drinks extra hot so they will, could remain warm by the time they got to the customer. So, you know, the biggest mistake I'd say, and this is 2015 as a point of reference. So, you know, Ubering and Lyft was super new, but there were no Postmates, Grubhub, uh, Uber Eats, right? And so um, while I'm not going to like say I started that, or I'm definitely not taking credit for that, um, I say the biggest mistake was looking at that coffee concierge is what I called it, but looking at coffee concierge as a stopgap where I probably with better perspective could have launched that into, I could have systemized that and then sold that to Lord knows who, right? And so 
um, you know, that could have been my first, my first, you know, super big win. So I say that's, that was probably my first mistake is, you know, getting out when I probably should have stayed in a little bit longer. I think that's so. it is a hard, hard decision to make in the sense that sometimes a side hustle is just that it, it is just a temporary job to make a little bit of money until you find the next big thing. And other times side hustles are the things that become the big, the big business or the things that are become rewarding. I mean, I remember the first business I started was when I was in MBA school, I was doing my law degree and MBA degree, studying both of those in my, I started, I entered a business competition with a few other people and that was just kind of, Oh, this sounds like fun. I like to do startups. And, and, and I think this sounds like a uh, thing. And, you know, so we entered and the second or first year we entered and didn't go anywhere. Second year we entered and it was one that I was passionate enough. I said, Hey, this is enough more than just a, it's a more of a better idea than just to do it as a business competition and let it go. And I was on the opposite side to where all of the people on my team are, they were all graduating. They were all moving elsewhere and they didn't have any, uh, a very, very big vision of it. So I bought them all out, bought the, or continue to build that company. It came to, I think it's, I'd have to look, see their seven or eight figure business now, but it all started from this uh, fun side hustle kind of business. But on the other side, you can say, hey, this is just that. It's a side hustle. It's not going anywhere. But I think making that balance or decision is it a th- or something that I'm, it's my stopgap or is it my next big thing is I think always one that's a hard decision to make. For sure. So now we'll jump to the second question. So now if you're talking to people who are just getting into startups or small businesses, just getting started, what would be the one piece of advice you'd give them? Uh, remain curious. Um, you know, there's... I think it, it gets so easy to try to pack a ton of like, you know, one piece of advice for someone starting, you know, curiosity to your point with your story with, you know, the pitch year one, year two, it was your curiosity, you know, mm-hmm. from year one that got you back into year two. Right. And so like to stay curious and like follow almost like Scooby-Doo, like follow your nose as to where those next clues go, even if the doors close like it did for me in e-commerce last winter, you know, last winter kicked my tail. I mean, I, I I would not tell you how many thousands of dollars like went down the drain and I didn't have much to show for it. But then you fast forward, not even six months later, seven months later, you know, all of those losses, um, I've probably three X, you know, the money that I lost last winter um, because I was able to fast track that into, you know, producing an efficient and and high quality product in this um, um, online course. No, no, I think that that's uh, good advice and, and uh, good things for them to take away. So, well, as we wrap up, people want to get to whether they want to read your book, they want to use your courses and find out more about your online resources, connect up with you, otherwise uh, make a connection. What's the best way to reach out or connect with you? So on social media, you can find me Coach Cam Cares on Instagram, on YouTube. Uh, I think I have a a, a Facebook page. I mean, I don't know if people still use Facebook. Uh, on Twitter, Coach Cam cares. <laughs> well, it maybe I, some like people use I, yeah. I never really got into it in the first place, so I'm not the good person to ask. Yeah, like I don't, I don't know. And then um, uh, the course, uh, my book. I have a complimentary digital magazine. Uh, it's called Crown and Glory. All of those can be found on CoachCamCourses.com. All right. Well, I, I certainly encourage everybody to reach out, 
uh, connect up with you in any or all the platforms you're on. And uh, certainly uh, you have a lot of things to share and you've done a lot of interesting things. Well, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. It's been fun to hear your story. Now, for all of you that are listeners, if you have an inventive journey of your own to tell, feel free to reach out to us at inventivejourneyguest.com to apply to be as a guest on the podcast. If you're a listener, make sure to click subscribe so you get this notifications and when this episode and all the new episodes go live. And lastly, if you ever need any help with patents or trademarks, feel free to reach out to us at Miller IP Law. Well, Coach Cam, it's been fun to have you on. It's been a fun journey. Wish you the next best leg of your journey. And uh, thank you again. See you soon.